God bless you, and on behalf of World Harvest Ministries, I'd like to welcome you, and thank you so much for tuning in. Today is part two of a message Brother Marty preached on the Antichrist and the mystery of iniquity. We hope this word awakens you and deepens your understanding in God's word. And as the Bible says, he who has an ear, let him hear to what the Spirit is saying. Now let's tune in to today's message. told me to come continue teaching, so uh, that's why I'm here. Is that all right? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's see here. Second Thessalonians. Did I tell you where? Second Thessalonians. I... I went to bed with his presence, woke up with his presence. There's a real heavy flow of the Spirit of God taking place. Um, it's been a long time since we've gathered and just sought his word and tried to grow in his word. But these times are different than any other time that I've ever seen in my lifetime, at least. Um, Things are changing across the planet, across the globe. The entirety of humanity is being pushed in a certain way, in a certain direction. And, and really, as we get into the word this morning, which is really a continuation from last night, but we're going to look at something even more interesting to me, because these are realms I've been in since I was a, a, a young kid in the Lord. I began to ask questions, you know, the big question, why? Why is everything here? Where did I come from? What's this all about? You know, I, I, I really began to seek God over these things. And over the years, and it's been years, he's begun to piece these things together. And then um, it seems as if in the last 18 months or so, he, or 16 months or so, he flipped a switch. And it's as if we entered into a different place now where things are no, mo no longer just looked at in a subject matter or an information matter or, or a, wow, that's a pretty cool matter. But in, in reality, I believe we are now witnessing the, the, the beginning of the fulfillment of things that have been transpiring from before there was ever a man that walked on the face of the earth. And there is a culmination of things. There must be. I think one of the hardest things for people is because we live in this world and we, all we've ever known is, is what we see around us. The Bible describes it as the course or the flow of the world. It is reality. It's perception. It's what we can uh, deduce with our five physical senses. It's how we gather information. We read, we learn, we see, we acquire knowledge. But because of those things, it has worked until you come to the Lord Jesus Christ to tap down true understanding of what life really is. Because this life is temporary. And that's very difficult for a lot of people to get a hold of. 
And it can really only be revealed by the Spirit of the Lord on the inside of us. Now, what we talk about in these settings, most out there have no clue what you're talking about. And we get frustrated sometimes. Well, can't they see? No, they can't see. And even those within the church who you try to have conversations with, they can't see either. And you wonder why. Well, it's because they have not spent time uh, in the things of God. They have not spent time in the spirit of God or in relationship with God. But there's something very interesting that, keep your finger there and turn over to the prophet Daniel, chapter 12. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word and for your presence. Feed us this morning according to your heart, dear precious Holy Spirit. Comfort us, guide us, and reveal to us our Lord Jesus Christ, the things that belong to him and the things that are yet to be. By your grace, may we magnify him alone. And by your permission, dear Lord, and your, you permitting it to be so, let us go into the deeper things of God. And this we shall do by your grace. In Jesus' name, all God's people said amen and amen. Are you in Daniel chapter 12? Daniel receives <coughs> a vision from the angel, from the spirit of the Lord, and then he doesn't understand what he sees. But what he sees is the end of time, the con con conclusion of time. Something really interesting to me is, is going to happen, the Bible says, and, and that is that, that time as we know it, you know, we wear watches, the clock ticks, it's going to stop. It is a measure. It is a, it's a substance. It's, it's a medium by which the current counsel of God is flowing. But it's bringing about the will of God, the will of the creator of all things. It's going to stop and everything's going to be altered and changed. The Bible speaks in the book of Revelation of, of how, it's, how it's said is that time would be no more. Time has a beginning. We know there'll be an altering of time because the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah that when the Lord returns and establishes his kingdom, that if someone passes away at the age of 100, they'll be considered as but a child. The implications of even that statement is incredible, that someone could actually die in the millennial reign or in that thousand-year period that the Bible talks about. We could look at that at another time, but listen, <clears throat> what I'm trying to put forward here is that we know by that statement that time as we know it is going to be altered. Isn't it interesting that in the beginning the Bible puts forth the idea that <clears throat> Adam and humanity itself lived to be almost a thousand years old? Adam lived to be 930. Methuselah, I think, was 983. Time was different then. I believe one of the reasons that they lived so long is that the Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death, but that sin entered into the human race through one vessel, that is Adam, and, and the effects of it needed to 
needed time, if you will, before it could fully bring about death. Because man was created in the image of God. Man was formed out of the dust of the earth, but when God breathed into him, he became a living soul. So the essence of man is both soul and body. But understand this, unlike the animal creation, which was made out of the earth, man's body was made out of the dust of the earth, but the essence of man is higher than the animals, for he came out of God. It separated him from the animal kingdom, and he was given dominion. There is a principle that we could go so deep into that is so profound to me that, that he sets us in the material universe and then embreathes into this house we call our body the vital principle or the intelligent quotient that literally emerged from the creator into this body that we live in. That's why when you go to a funeral and you look at somebody in the casket, you go, they're not there. That ain't, that ain't my daddy, that ain't my mama, that ain't my grandma, that ain't, that ain't them. How do we know that instinctively? What's missing? The vital life, the soul, the spirit. So if we understand that and, 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 and we need to reflect on that, we understand this, that it is quite conceivable, and it's true, that the body itself is nothing more than a house, or in our modern age, like a car. Consider uh, your body like a car, for instance. The cars outside that are parked out, they're just sitting there. They're just a little thing, right? Got an engine in it and all that kind of stuff. But it takes you to enter it and then energize it and take it where you want it to go, right? Well, that's what your, your life is like. Your body is like that car out there, and God put you in it. But when you run out of gas, you get out of the car. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's, that's all it is. You pass from one solid dimension into a dimension or reality that is more real than this. How do we know this? Because everything that is made and can be seen was made out of substance that comes from another world. God, God took things and made them. Unlike the, the philosophers and the pagans, if you will, that, or, or even like the Hindus and all these guys, the Buddhists, they teach that creation was brought about by pre-existing matter. Atoms, protons, neutrons, electrons that everything that's made was made by, an, by a static material substance that was already in existence. But if that was the case, that God used something that was already there, then that substance would have limitations and in essence would be limited by what it, what it already was. It's independent of the will and the act of the creator. But the, but the Bible dares to proclaim that God made something out of nothing so that all things are in control of his will. Okay. So listen to this. So Daniel has revealed, oh, so, so time will be altered in the millennium. It's almost as if we're returning back to the original state temporarily. Time 
was given a thousand year period in the beginning. Then God intervenes. The flood comes. Moses writes about it in Psalm 90 where he says that, uh, that man's days were then reduced to 80 years. 70 if by reason of strength 80. Some of us live a little longer than that. Uh, uh, Moses would write that God's uh, spirit would not strive with man forever, but he apportioned him 120 years. So somewhere in there, we're appointed to cease. But it wasn't always that way. But then the Bible tells us that when Jesus returns, a, a re-altering of, of, of the substance of material existence will occur, and another thousand years will occur. It's at the end of that thousand years, according to the Bible, that there'll be a, a renovation of everything by fire. The first one perished by flood. The second one perishes by fire. And then Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 that there will be a new heaven and a new earth wherein or in those places will dwell righteousness. The possibility for any kind of corruption, chaos, destruction or decay or death or sin or anything like that, which has plunged the entirety of the universe into absolute destruction, it will all be done away with by the Father himself. Consider this, that when Jesus returns, he will return and he will impose the rule and the will of the Father upon the planet. That's what we were reading last night. Revelation 19, when he returns, he'll take the beast and the false prophet, cast them into the lake of fire and brimstone, right? He will take the devil, that old dragon himself. He will be bound with chains and cast into the very bottomless pit that he opened to let the Antichrist out. He's going to put him there for how long? A thousand years. But then the Bible teaches us in the book of Revelation that he will be released at the end of a thousand years for a season. Why is that? Because not everybody when Jesus returns will have taken the mark of the beast. They will have been neither saved or unsaved. But they, they're, they're kind of like, I, I picture like guys like the Montana militia, you know. Hey, we ain't going to, you know, it's our guns. You ain't taking our guns and you know, all that stuff. You know, we're going to go in the hills. We ain't, we ain't being part of this crazy world system. They're already there. But that doesn't necessarily make them saved. Somehow we know they will be endured. Uh, endure. How else will the world be repopulated? So when he returns, he will impose the will of God on the planet. He will put down all rebellion, all who have received the mark, all who took the number of his name, all who worshipped his image, all who became the collective of the inhabiting of the spirit of wickedness through the Antichrist and false prophet, humanity itself, and that version of it will be put down and destroyed until the second death, which is another subject. But listen to this. But those who didn't will have survived. It'll be very few. Isaiah tells us that they will be able to be almost counted by children. How many few will be left? But we as the church will be changed, the Bible says. We will be a distinct class of being. Different. Children of the Most High God. We will be different. Is it, it's interesting, and I'm just throwing this out there for your consideration, those of you who know the word. In Ezekiel chapter 40, through the end of there, he is given a vision where he sees the Messiah build and construct a temple, a new temple, in the millennial reign. And there, there will be sacrifice and offerings still offered. 
not for the atonement of sin, for that has been paid by the, by the Savior, but in the, in the expression of the Jewish people. It says that they'll bring their first fruits to the temple. But the church, the redeemed, both of Jew and Gentile, will be a completely different class of being. We will be changed, Paul said, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And the bodies that we receive will be like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ that could pass through walls, for God's sake. Hallelujah. Without blood, he said, handle me. I'm not a ghost. He said, I have flesh and bone, not flesh and blood, because he emptied his blood. We will have bodies like that, essence, pure spirit flowing through it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lit by the glory of God on our countenance. So there's a return to the original state for a thousand years, an altering of time. At the end of it, the devil will be loosed. Why will he be loosed? Because remember this, God desires for his creation to worship him out of a choice or a free will response to what he's done. Those who will be alive who have not taken the mark and somehow survive, I don't know how, but the Bible says they will. There will be those that do. They will have to accept the Lord as he returns and obey him. If you know your word, you know that there'll be rain because he says that he'll send rain on the nations. So we know there'll be nations. He'll send rain on the nations, and there will be three feasts that are still appointed at the end of time, the Passover, Pentecost, but especially the Feast of Tabernacles. And those nations, according to the scripture, that are still existing in this fantastic millennial reign will have to bring delegations to worship the Lord in the city of Jerusalem where he's ruling and reigning from the throne of his father, according to the flesh, King David. Do you know your Bible? And he says, if those nations refuse to come up for some reason, he won't let it rain on their land until they repent and come and honor him as king. So we see all kinds of activity will be taking place. But see, this kind of obedience has been imposed on them. But at the end of a thousand years, the Bible indicates that Satan will be loosed for a season and he will compass the face of the earth. Why? Because he will be allowed to tempt that version of humanity and they must either reject God and, and, and ex, I mean accept the Lord Jesus Christ and reject the devil or reject God and, and accept the devil. He will take one last opportunity to thwart the plan of God. He will be allowed to do so. But what's interesting is something unique is going to happen for the scripture indicates that when the Lord is on the earth ruling and reigning, which won't be too many days from now, that the heavenly father will move his throne of, of heaven and place it directly over the planet. My God, <laughs> the Bible says all that? Yeah, it does. <laughs> it really does. Well, that's just too crazy. Well, I'm sorry you can't see it. What are you trying to say in that sense? Man, what is ahead of us is so incredibly fantastic. That's why Paul said, hey, man, it ain't no thing what we go through now. He goes, hey, I won't even mention it in the same breath because what's about to be revealed, he said, is far greater than we've ever imagined. Hallelujah. But see, 
God sends his spirit into your heart, and there's moments where suddenly everything seems like, oh, my God, it's true. You know, and, and that's where we need to fight in the spirit to lay hold of that so it's not taken from us. Moments of realization, moments of revelation where you suddenly go, whoa, man, this is, this is incredible. And then it seems like it just kind of soaks away. That's when that happens. Begin to pray in the spirit and hang on to that thing and, and, and endeavor to grow in that. So before you know it, we're eventually going to be like Enoch where we're walking with God and we don't even realize we're home. Hallelujah. We're home. <laughs> Whoa, where'd the earth go? Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm home. There's hints of these things in the scripture. It's really awesome, man. And the world can't see it because the Bible says that the God of this world, he's blinded the minds. Now, what we're talking about now is going to become even more alive in your spirit as we go forward under the coming of the Lord. It'll be more and more apparent. And the angel tells Daniel this. Look, are you there in 12? He says this. <clears throat> he says uh, in verse 8, he said, I heard, but I didn't understand what I was hearing. And I said, Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he says this. He says, Daniel, go your way. Because the words I'm just talking to you about, they are closed up and they are sealed until when? The time of the end. He says, at that time, many will be purified. They will be made white. They will be tried. But contrawise, the wicked shall do wickedly. What he's saying is a, a moment of sanctification, separation, and holiness is coming upon the body of Christ, the people of God. We're going to be refined by the Spirit. We're going to be tried. What does that mean? It means to, by the heat of the iniquity of the culture, we are going to be either refined or we're going to fall. But his people will be tried. It will purify us. The very act of having to exist in this corrupted world as the intensity of it continues to manifest itself is going to work as a refining fire for as we resist these things the glory of God is going to continue to rise up within us did not Isaiah say arise and shine for thy light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee and shall be seen upon you hallelujah I was talking to a couple last night that were here. They're, they're relatives of the people that own this place. They came to church last night, which blessed me. And I was talking to the man, and he's 83 years old. His wife's in her 80s. And, and I could see the light of God on them, on their faces. It was awesome, as I could all, all of us when we left. When his presence comes, it saturates. We get hints of this when Moses came down from the mountain. Remember when Moses came down from the mountain? The Bible says he wasn't even aware that the light was all over him. Why? Because he was in the presence of God. And being, if you're really in God's presence, it begins to saturate even your very face, your flesh. So great was the light on him that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look on him, the Bible says. And he literally had to, for a season, cover his face with a veil because they couldn't look at it. Hallelujah. The Bible says just prior to the coming of the Lord, that kind of glory is going to rest on you and rest on me. <laughs> you don't believe it, but it's going to happen. The children believe it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Just go home after you've been in a great service. 
and you feel his presence on you, look at yourself in the mirror. Don't fall in love with yourself now because you're going to look better than you ever have before. But just, just look at yourself. You, you can tell, wow, I look, I look young. Hallelujah. You know, my God. Who needs Botox? I just need the Holy Ghost. My God. So what does he say? He says, they'll be tried. They'll be made pure or white. They'll be tried. And he says, but the wicked are going to do more wicked. They're going to increase in their wickedness. That's what we're beginning and seeing now, right? And then he says what? He says, none of the wicked in the time of the end, what, shall understand what the heck's going on? I threw that in. That's an appendix. None of the wicked shall understand, but what? But the wise, what, shall understand a revelation of the Spirit is being given. You will understand. Are you in, are you in uh, Second Thessalonians? Let's go back over there real quick. I'll hurry. Praise you, Lord. Now, we'll see how far we can go in this, but we'll be quick. Because a lot of this stuff, I know some of you are hearing it for the first time. And, and it, it's, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? <laughs> Amen. Now, Paul said this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Remember what we were talking about last night. Now, he says this, and I, wanted, I felt like the Lord wanted us to look at this today, uh, this morning. We'll see what happens tonight. But listen, he says, um, let's start with verse 6. He says, now you know what withholds that he might be revealed in his time. That is, the Antichrist. He has a time, an appointed time. And then he says this. He says, for the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who now holds it all back from taking its full form is what he means. Only he that now lets, he will let until he's taken out of the way. And then the wicked one shall be revealed. So check this out. What I want to talk to you about as we're continuing the flow is that phrase, the, the mystery of iniquity. The mystery of iniquity. Basically what Paul is saying is that nobody really understands why people do bad things. <laughs> why, does, why do we have evil? Why is there death? Why is there destruction? Why is there corruption? It's the mystery of iniquity. But remember, when he makes that statement, the mystery of iniquity, He's making it as he's revealing that there's coming an antichrist or a wicked one, right? The key to understanding what the mystery of iniquity really is then must be understood in what's being revealed. And that is this, which we talked a little bit about last night, that Satan himself is going to take upon himself physical form. He's going to become a man. Or should I better say, he's going to inhabit a man. It's very interesting that, now stay with me now, it's very interesting when you consider something that, why is he taking on the form, or what is it that's propelling the desire of the, of the devil to want to become a physical man? One, 
he's not a very smart devil. <laughs> he is, but he isn't. I mean, he's, he's way smarter than us, let me tell you that. But it won't always be that way. But, but I'm not trying to diminish who he is. But what I mean by that is that he, he doesn't have any, any original ideas. Now, the mystery of iniquity, the word mystery there, it has the idea of secret knowledge, secret ritual knowledge. He's the original brujeria. Brujo, that's what my grandfather used to be called, a witch doctor. He was a witch doctor. He, he was a witch. He's the original. And Paul calls it a secret initiation, a secret series of ritual that destroys and brings everything into decay. That's iniquity. But in the Greek word for iniquity is also the breaking of the law on purpose. Now, if you remember the Garden of Eden when the devil shows up, where is the place that he chooses to fix himself? In the tree. But not just any tree. He's told to fix himself. He comes and fixes himself in the tree of the knowledge, knowledge of good and evil. It's the only place that God told Adam and Eve, our original parents, you can't eat from that tree. Don't do it because you'll die. So the enemy, the devil, comes right to the place of the commandment, the place of the law of God. There he abides. But what he didn't realize and what God was revealing to us through Moses when Moses wrote about it, because Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, he didn't realize that what he was doing was really revealing what he was already guilty of, which was that he had already broken God's established law. See, for there was a law that was given in the angelic realm, in the dimensions, in the universe that then was. It was a law that was given to the angels. Look at Acts chapter 7 in Stephen's great sermon, what he says there. Many people think that the law was given by Moses to us and that it, the law came into existence on Mount Sinai. But the truth of the matter is, is that the law is eternal. This is why those who teach the hyper grace message or that you can't, uh, we're not called to keep the law, it is their ignorance in things eternal, in things that are about God, why they make statements like that. What they're really talking about, whether they realize it or not, and it's because they're ignorance in the scripture, the law are ten decrees that are eternal. But what they don't realize that Paul is talking about when he talks about the law 
as it relates to perfecting one's relationship with God, like do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. If you mess up, you're going to sin and you can't please God. And he says, so man goes through this thing and, and tries to please God by doing and not doing, doing and not doing, doing and not doing. He says, nobody can do that because everybody messes up, right? But that's a completely separate issue from the ten decrees or the Ten Commandments. That is the eternal law of God. What I just described is what the Bible calls statutes, ordinances, rules, and regulations about how to perform an act of, of obedience and worship to God. But it can never, ever justify a man because sin is a spiritual condition, not an outward condition. You can think about that for a while. But now listen. But the point is, is that the law, the Ten Commandments, remember what God said, when I appeared to you on, on Mount Sinai, I never even once mentioned sacrifices and offerings. Right? That's what he says in his word. I never told you to go kill a lamb or do this or that as a means of approaching me. Not on Mount Sinai. When I first came to you, I came with the entirety of heaven, the angels with me, and my voice spoke the perfect eternal law of God into the earth. Stephen mentions this, that the law originally was adhered to by the angels. So the law was existing before Mount Sinai. And the mystery of iniquity is simply this. It's a mystery that has been hidden in that men do not realize that the conflict we find ourselves in this world right now and throughout history has its origins in the dateless past when that creature broke the law of God and unleashed in the world that then was corruption, decay, and death. So Stephen, in his great sermon, he says something. He gives us a clue here. Look at this. He says, uh, as he's talking to the Pharisees, he says in verse 52, chapter 7, verse 52, are you there? He says, which of the prophets, we're near the end of his sermon, he says, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? They've slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom you are now the betrayers and the murderers. Now listen to this. Who have received the law by what? The dispensation of Moses, the dispensation of the angels, the angelic creatures, these, these magnificent beings that have been made. These beings, these creatures, as we call them, these angels, it's one term that encompasses so many. They are princes. They are rulers. They are real. They have authority. They have rulership. They have dominions. Michael is the only angel in the whole Bible called an archangel. He has been specifically assigned to protect the house of Israel. He is the ruler and the prince of the people of God. He has an authority. Hmm? Gabriel seems to be like an apostle, if you will. He's commissioned. He told Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, I stand in the presence of God. And he said, I've come to bring you a message. That's his job. There's those cherubim that fly before the throne of God. 
They fly before him night and day, the Bible says, speaking, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They are so infused with the energy and life force of God himself that their response to him is an absolute awe and declaration of his awesomeness. It is before his throne. Hallelujah. And when they cry, the whole earth is filled with his glory, you'll find that account in Isaiah chapter 6. It's as if they're lamenting. Cannot the people of the world see and know that God is awesome? Why are they rebelling against him? And more so, why are his people rebelling against him? The earth is filled with his glory. When, I, when Isaiah was allowed to pierce into that world, he says, I'm, I'm absolutely torn apart. Because when his presence comes, the first thing it always works is conviction. Not condemnation, but con conviction. An awareness of, gee whiz, I thought I knew God, but as I sense his presence, I begin to realize just far, how far away I am from him and how much more I need to surrender in order to become more like the son of the living God. Hallelujah. So this law was pre-existing, these ten utterances, these ten perfect commandments that he gave. They were in existence before the world ever was. This mystery of iniquity is just that. Something took place. Maybe we'll be allowed to go there. I don't want to go too far off right now. But I want to show you something. We're talking about the mystery of iniquity, the mystery of destruction. It is a ritual. It is a performance of darkness to remove light. Genesis chapter 1. Go over there. And, and there's other scriptures. You can write these scriptures down concerning the law coming from angels. Uh, Galatians 3.19. He ordained his word by angels. Psalm 68.17, uh, I believe. Uh, the angels came with the Lord at Mount Sinai as witnesses that the law was being now brought into the earth to his people. They had to give an account. He delivered them by the blood which was over their, their doorpost of their house. Remember on the Passover? Before it is by grace, right? But now he says, I want to bring you into a deeper understanding of an established pre-existing truth, the perfection of me and what I demand and what must be adhered to. It's the first thing I'm going to speak to you from my mountain. And all the angels came with him. You can read it in, I believe it's a... Uh, Psalm 68, 17. Read it, would you, Fernando? Can you read Psalm 68 to us? My boy? All right. If you got somewhere to go, just go. <laughs> Psalm 68, I believe it is. Again, this mysterious order. We're peering into the dateless past right now. Go ahead. 17, I think it is. Yes. So when God came to Mount Sinai, he came with, uh, with an innumerable host of heavenly beings. 
Talk about UFOs. <laughs> I mean, he pierced into the material realm. That's why the mountain was on fire. Ezekiel saw those angels that carry his, his chariot or his throne, his vessel that he chooses to be carried. He, he rides above it, but they, they bring his glory with them. And he says there's 10,000 times 10,000. An innumerable amount of them came into Sinai. When God came from that realm into ours, the dimensional realm, this is real fancy language, but there are realms, there are dimensions, there are spaces, there are habitations of reality that we have yet to fully understand. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Uh, let's, let's see if I can use this. Just, just an illustration of what I'm talking about. God moves at a much higher rate of speed than we do. Even the angels, Ezekiel said, they move like lightning. Right? That's what he said. They move in the light. Hallelujah. Huh? The faster a thing goes, it doesn't cease to exist. It just simply ceases to be seen with our eyes. Right? I'll give you an example. See, we see this right now, right? You can still see it. And, but if I go faster, it starts to disappear. Right? It doesn't stop existing. It just starts to dematerialize in front of our eyes. Isn't that right? That's the difference. So when we hear statements in the word of God, he's as close as the mention of his name. Hallelujah. <laughs> when Elisha said, when his servant goes, my God, look at all those soldiers. He says, God, open his eyes. And he tells him, he says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel. There was 185,000 heavenly hosts on the mountain surrounding the prophet. And he tells him, and I love the way Brother Pember, who wrote in the 1800s, says it. He tells his servant, he says, he says, hey, they that are with us, they're more than they that are with them. So even the wicked armies had them with them. Only the wicked them, empowering them. They could not stand in the armies that he opened the eyes of his servant to see. So parallel are the universes, are the existences, that we, we need not imagine that when we cry out to God that he's some distant, you know, eons from us, light years away from us. No, no, no. It's a misunderstanding of just how close and present he is always. Hallelujah. I thank God for that. Hallelujah. If, you, if, if he'll allow you to, you can think, how, man, I almost got hit by that car. <laughs> well, what made you move back? Your angel, who's as close as the mention of Jesus' name, he pushed you out of the way and you didn't even realize it. Hmm? or whatever may have happened to you. That world is so close and so within the spectrum of light, it is the only thing that limits us, our ability to see. But God gave eyes to his children. In seeing, they see not. In hearing, they hear not, right? 
But he told, he told, look at this in John chapter 16. Turn over real quick. Jesus at the Last Supper says something, reveals something based on what we're talking about right now that'll just, that blows my mind. And, and it should bring us greater understanding in relation to what we're talking about. John 16, actually I think it's 14, somewhere in there. Uh, let's see if I can find this. John 14... Let's see. Okay. Okay, look at this. Are you there? John 14, Gospel of John. John 14, beginning with the 15th verse. Jesus, he's getting ready to go away, and, and he says to them, he says uh, in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And he says, I'm going to pray to the Father if you keep my commandments. Isn't that weird? What commandments? I thought we're not supposed to keep the commandments. So there must be something we're not seeing. And they're directly linked to the Holy Spirit. Oh, my goodness. We could be here all day. He says, he says, I'll pray the Father, and he shall give you what? Another comforter that he may abide with you forever. That even the Spirit of truth who what? Say it. The world can't receive him. Why? Because it sees him not. <laughs> I'm having fun. I don't know about you. I'm glad you could join me on my Bible study this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, now you know why my hair is so gray. <laughs> You think too much, man. Yeah. They, they, they can't see him. But what does he say? He says, he says uh, the spirit, verse 17, whom the world can't receive because it can't see him. Neither does, do they know him. But you know him. And he dwells with you. And he shall be in you. You're going to know him. The world doesn't know him. Why? Because it can't see him. But you're going to see him if you keep his commandments, if you love him, if you follow what he's decreed. His spirit comes to us. It's his spirit that, that lifts you, even as we're talking now, I hope. <laughs> you can sense his presence in his word. It's his spirit that teaches us. It's the essence. It's the substance. It's... It's, it's the ethereal truth, yet a person. There is a conflict as to who is going to fill creation. Look at the intention of God in Ephesians chapter 2. Turn over there, would you, Brother Fernando, and read it out loud? Ephesians chapter 2. Are you there? It's in the New Testament. You must have a new Bible. Uh, 
Well, what did I just say? There is a conflict. It's really the war is over, and there never really was a war. But in the delusion of the enemy, he is seeking to fill everything with himself. He's such an egomaniac. <laughs> Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Isn't that what's revealed to us? Verse 1, what does it say? The spirit that does what? Where? In. He fills the wicked of the world with his expression. He's always been trying to inhabit material substance, to give expression to himself. But he has been, he's not content. He wants to embody it all in himself. And he's been withheld. That's what the mystery of iniquity is. Only he that now is withholding this is withholding it until the time that he's taken out of the way. In the meantime, he has filled every human being that has ever been born in rebellion. And in essence, he's expressing his will through the collective of humanity. But now he wants to rule over them, but they can't see him. So what he's desired is that he would inhabit a body so that he could receive its worship. Yes. I told you he's not an original thinker. He witnessed God becoming flesh. Ah, oh, that's too, I know, I know, I know. That'll make your straight hair curly and your curly hair straight. <laughs> so, but then he says the children of God, could you read that to me, brother, in verse 21? 221. And then what? Oh my God. Two opposing forces. He's building a house. Remember we talked about last night what he wants to do? He wants to put himself in the temple of God saying that he's God. But God has selected you and me and, and, and all the saints through the ages all the way from Abel to Abraham to Samuel to David to Paul and the apostles and all the great saints of God that have gone before us. Unto this hour he has been selecting, choosing and putting together a beautiful family. And he says, to the intent that right now the Spirit is working and placing us together so that we collectively would become a habitation of God himself through his Spirit. My God. Different than anything that's ever existed before and replacing the devil and his angels who rejected the ten ordinances of God through the mystery of iniquity. My Lord, I lost my Bible. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. Let's close with Hebrews chapter 2. Because this is what Jesus came to do. Do not think about a body 
a human body as simply an individual thing. Think of it in a much larger context, in a much larger understanding. Because you have to understand this in order to understand why God surrounded himself with it, with material stuff, his body. Why did he take a body around himself? Because it must be understood that the entirety of creation and the substance of it and the iniquity and destruction of it had to be put to death. But it's material, not spirit. I'll just let that hang out there for a while. So, listen to this. Let's close with this. Are we in Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 10, I believe it is. And then we'll close with chapter 2, so you can keep your fingers there. Let's see if I can find Hebrews 10. Remember what we were talking about last night? The enemy has desired to take a physical form. He's, he's not an originator. He doesn't have an original thought in his head. He imitates thinking that he can defeat God in his corrupt thinking. He thinks he can defeat God at his own game. As a matter of fact, we know he didn't understand what the Lord was doing because Paul said, had the princes or the evil entities of this cosmos, this material world, known, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't know that by moving men to kill God, they killed themselves. Hallelujah. Oh, my gosh. So listen to this. I'm having too much fun, Fernanda. All right. Listen to this. For, so in verse 4, it says, It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Right? He says, Wherefore, when he came into the world, he said, You don't want sacrifice and offering. But what? But a body. You've prepared for me. That is so intense, man. <laughs> Hallelujah. When the angels rebelled under the direction of their, their Lord, Satan, there was no hope for their redemption of them. For they were born in that perfected state. God in his mercy created us lower than the angels. Why? It was his grace. He knew what he was going to do. He was going to create a family that would replace the family that rebelled against him. Only they wouldn't be angels. They'd be in the image of his dear son. Hallelujah. I got to run. I got to run. <laughs> Glory to God. Glory to God. My ways are not your ways. As far as the heaven is from the earth, so my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He's a deep God, man. Hallelujah. <laughs> deep is calling unto deep, my God. Hallelujah. So he says, a body you've prepared for me. And he said, in burnt offerings and sacrifice, you had no pleasure. Lo, I come to do thy will. 
<laughs> As it is written of me in the volume of the book, I come to do your will, O oh God. What is his will? My God, he's making something. He's doing something. He's causing something to come to pass. And because nobody else could do it, as great as Abel was, his blood cried vengeance. Jesus says, mercy and grace. Hallelujah. As wonderful as the faith of Abraham was, Jesus said, he saw me in Isaac and received me as being raised from the ashes if need be. He saw my day. Hallelujah. As wonderful as Samuel was in that not one word fell to the ground, even he couldn't do it. It took God himself to do what only God can do because he's God. Hallelujah. That ought to make you happy. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Now listen. We'll close with this scripture in Hebrews chapter 2. Man. Are you there, Hebrews 2? Look at verse 14. And, and listen, in light of everything the Lord's letting us look at, he says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, speaking of the Lord Jesus, God himself, he took part of flesh and blood. Check this out. That through death... What? He might destroy him who what? Had a power of death. And then since, so we won't have any mistakes as to who he really is, he says, the devil, right? <laughs> Embodied in the one being, the fallen one, by the origination, when iniquity was found in him, he became the caretaker of something that was allowed to be brought forth, and that is death, chaos, corruption, confusion, and it tainted everything except the domain of God. It's why Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he sprinkled his blood throughout the heavens. We see a type of this. We've spoken of this before. When Moses made the tabernacle, the Bible says he was doing something that people didn't understand, but he, he killed a lamb. He poured out its blood. He takes hyssop, dips it in the blood, and begins to sprinkle the tabernacle, which is a type of the universe. He then goes into the Holy of Holies, which is the court of heaven itself, and, and he offers the blood on the Ark of the Covenant, which speaks of peace between God and his creation. It is in the outer court, the tabernacle in the wilderness, the outer court was on the dirt, and that's where the brazen altar was, a type of the cross. It's there where the lamb would be offered. Why? Because God was hiding in these things a prophecy that it would be on the earth, the outer court, where he would come and put away sin. Hallelujah. 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 And so in the Holy of Holies, it's, it's the beautiful heavens. It's where the stars, the constellations, the planets are. All of them were tainted by this conflict that's been raging. And if the Lord allows, we'll talk a little bit about that tomorrow morning. Now that we've loaded the bus, amen? 
He's destroyed him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All, all it is now, you know how when they like drop a bomb in the, in the army, right, and, and they blow up the, the enemy? And then they, uh, the general always says, all we got to do is mop up the situation now, right? Just got to go mop it up. The battle's over. We just got to go clean it up now. The battle was won 2,000 years ago on Calvary. What we're witnessing now is a mopping up operation. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. He's destroyed him that had the power of death, the devil. And so when we see Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, it's awesome because he says, hey, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, and look, I got the keys of hell and what? Death. Hallelujah. Ain't nobody ever going to take control of this again. Hallelujah. And he's delivered them who through all their life were subject to bondage. Why? Verse 15, because of fear of what? Dying. I don't know about you. I don't want to die. But I don't have to fear that anymore. Hallelujah. Because all this earthly body is, is a passageway into that which is real. Hallelujah. I step out of this thing into something far more glorious than you can imagine. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well, I dreamed of a city called glory. Oh, so bright. Hallelujah. And so fair, when I entered the gates of that city, our loved ones will all meet us there. We'll see Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. Oh, talk with Mark and even Timothy. Oh, but I'll say, I want to see my Jesus, because he's the one who died and rose for you and me. And I'll bow on my knees and cry, holy, hallelujah, hallelujah. glory to God, hallelujah. <laughs> I'll clap my hands and say, glory, hallelujah, glory to the Son of God, hallelujah, hallelujah, glory to God. Would you stand to your feet? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our Savior, our King, our Lord, our Master, and our God. We pray even so, come quickly, Lord, is our prayer. The Spirit and the Bride say, return, Lord. Return quickly. Father, we bless your people here and those that are listening around the world by way of the internet. Awaken your children, O oh Father. Open our eyes to the wonderful things. For eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of a fallen man the things that God has prepared for those who love them, who love him. And God has revealed those things to those who love him. And Father, we thank you that we have 
O Lord, your spirit, and that we see him by your grace and through your word. May the Lord be magnified in all that we do and say this day. Comfort your people, O Father. Bless their day and gather us again tonight for another opportunity to be in your word, we pray. And all God's people said in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hug somebody. Once again, we'd like to thank you for tuning in to today's message. Don't forget to subscribe for the latest message. And if you would like more information about our ministry or would like to give, you can visit us at www.worldharvestministries.net. Thank you so much for your prayers and support. And as we say here at World Harvest Ministries, keep looking up. God bless.